Hey, we're glad to have you here with us today at One Chapel. We're a church in Lake Travis that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about One Chapel and the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So great to see you here this morning. Um, uh, if you could get your Bibles out, would you please? Am I on? I don't feel like I'm on. Thank you very much. I can't tell up here. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, it's great to see you here this morning. Just a couple things. Um, as you saw, Easter is coming up. This is probably the, la- the latest Easter comes in the calendar. You kind of, it's every year. It's different. So April 21st is Easter, and you saw all the different services on Easter Sunday. Um, for those of you who want to, um, we're doing an early, early Easter sunrise service at 8 o'clock, but we have breakfast. We're having an amazing breakfast that we're going to cook for everybody who comes at the 8 o'clock service to try to entice you to come at 8, uh, eight o'clock service. So if you come at 8 o'clock, you're going to miss the breakfast, breakfast from 7 to 8. Uh, and so that is, that is coming up here very, very soon. Um, if you've ever been to an Easter service around here, uh, this is a great time to bring friends and family. This, this Easter services, as you know, are Easter and Christmas are the two times that everybody will just say yes um, to you if you'll just invite them. Um, those are two times a year that are easy to invite your friends and family, your neighbors, um, those, your coworkers, just to bring them with you. And so I just want to let you know, 8, 9.30, and 11.30 are the three services, and it's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited about what we're going to do and present for you on Easter. Also, just a reminder out in the, in the foyer, a couple things. Um, you have the Women's Unstuck um, Conference that's coming up this weekend, this Saturday, Friday night and Saturday night. And so if you haven't already signed up, what? Just Saturday. Just Saturday. Thank you. I know nothing since it's ladies. So Saturday, from what time to what time? 10 to 5. Some 10 to 5. So ladies, if you haven't already signed up, or men, if your ladies haven't signed up, go help them sign up. Right out in the foyer, you can do that. Um, there's a table right there, as well as the Lucinda um, table still out there. Two weeks from yesterday is the big fundraiser for the orphanage in Guatemala. And, uh, um, and at that fundraiser are all of these amazing things that you can bid on. Um, Susan, I didn't find this out from you. Can people do silent bids even if they don't come to the thing, or do they have to be there to do a bid? Um, kind of have to be there. I guess that's the motivation to be there. Um, I've seen a lot of the things that are there for bidding on, and let me tell you, there are some amazing, amazing things that you'll be able to get pretty cheap, um, relatively speaking, from what you could probably do for yourself, and so those are all there, so make sure you stop and get more information about that in the foyer. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We've been doing a series around here that, where we're going through the book of James, and, and if you haven't been here um, over the last couple Sundays, we've been just kind of going through this, this through the different, five different chapters in James, and one of the things you'll see if you're reading the book of James, maybe for the first time, is that this is one of the most practical books in the New Testament. It really is a how-to manual for the Christian life, and if you haven't already picked up one of these, I would encourage you to do that. They're back in the back of the sanctuary or up at the welcome desk. Um, We put together these little group discussion guides, because as we're putting this series together, we're only doing six weeks on the book of James, and there is way too much jam-packed. Every verse, every section in each chapter has multiple messages and things you can be taught on, and so what I did is just to create some discussion questions to go through the things we 
talk about on Sunday, but as well as the things that we're not even going to get to because there's just so much jammed, packed into it. So make sure you pick up one of these if you haven't done that already. Because today we're in chapter 2, and we're going to only look at 13 verses that are in chapter 2. Because here, James is talking about in this section how to have real faith. Look at this in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it's not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you, not, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a, dis in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without deeds is dead. And so here, James is talking about this idea of what is real, genuine, authentic faith. What does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus, or the term that we use nowadays, what does it mean to be a Christian, a Christ follower? And I think it's kind of interesting because anytime you put the word real in front of something, it just tends to sell better, right? Real coffee. Have you gotten the coffee trailer yet? It's real coffee. Real wood, real leather. I mean, you add the word real to it, and it, it just, and all of a sudden, it just sells a little bit better. Um, several years ago, there was a, there was a TV um, show called Real People. Coca-Cola is known as what? You may know? The Real Thing. And there is a book titled out there that says, that starts with, Real Men Don't What? Anybody know? Eat Quiche. Who said that? Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. Real men don't eat quiche. It gets, your, it gets your attention, right? Well, here James is talking about the difference between real and counterfeit faith. In other words, authentic believers and fake believers. And I think this is really, really important for every single one of us because there's a lot of people out there who say they're a Christian. They call themselves a Christian, and, and they'll use all sorts of emblems to give you the idea that they're Christians. But the reality is that a lot of people tend to be far from what it actually means to be a Christ follower. And so it, in this passage... James, he gets really practical and tangible, just like he does in all the rest of the verses, to really show us what it actually means to have real faith, to be a real believer. Now, before we jump into that, I think one of the things you need to know about this passage in, in the book of James is that this is the most controversial and misunderstood passage of the entire book of James, which is why I picked it to be our message here for Sunday. Because so many people misunderstand this. As a matter of fact, every cult that's out there takes this, these verses and turns it to prove from their standpoint that you have to work your way in order to get into heaven. And so that's why I think it's just really important for us to kind of tackle this here today so that when, you're, when people come to your door knocking on your door, you'll know how to respond it to them because James 
just kind of outlines this very practically here for us. Because look at this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The Apostle Paul, he says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so here, the Apostle Paul, he's saying that we're saved by faith alone, not through works. Now, if you remember what we just read from James, James, it looks like he's saying something different because he says it's not just faith. It's faith and works. And so all of a sudden you're going like, okay, who's right here? The Apostle Paul or James? Because what James is saying seems very contrarian to what the Apostle Paul is saying. And so then who's right, Paul or James? Well, the answer is they're both right because they're talking about two different things here. And I want to try to break that down here for you. If you look at this in your notes, I'm going to help you fill this out just a little bit here. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul was fighting the problem of legalism. This was the problem that he, that he was addressing in Ephesians chapter 2. So the problem of I've got to, I've got to keep all these Jewish laws and regulations in order to be a Christian. So that was the mindset that he was fighting in Ephesians chapter 2. Where James, on the other hand, he's fighting the problem of laxity. Not legalism, but actual laxity. So those who are saying it doesn't matter what you do as long as you'll just believe. And so James and Paul, they're fighting two different problems. And so when the Apostle Paul uses the words works, he's talking about Jewish laws, such as circumcision and and things like that, where James, when he uses the words works, he's talking about the lifestyle of a believer, of a, of a, a genuine Christian. And so the Apostle Paul, he's focusing on the root of salvation, on the root of salvation. So what happened internally with us, where James, his focus is on the fruit of salvation. In other words, what is seen around us. What do people see when they look at your life? And so the Apostle Paul, he's describing how to know that you're a Christian, where James is talking about how to show to the world around you that you are a Christian. And so the Apostle Paul, he's talking about how to become a believer, where James is talking about how to behave like a believer. Does that make sense? It's the same thing, but looking at it at just two different ways, from the inside and versus the out. And so these are so the Apostle Paul, he sums it up here in Ephesians 2. He says, For it's by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not the results of your own effort, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. God has made us what we are, and in, uh, and in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good works, which he has already prepared for us to do. Now, I want you to notice here in this passage that there are three really key important prepositions that Paul uses in this passage, the preposition by, through, and for. These three prepositions make all the difference in the world in understanding both what Paul and James are talking about and notice the nouns that these prepositions are attached to. Paul says, by grace, through faith, for good works. Now, I know we're kind of getting a little technical here this morning, but this is all the difference in the world. The order here makes all the difference, and it's really, really important because if you get this mess, these prepositions turned around and you put them in the wrong order, that's when we get in trouble. That's when cults arise and you get deceived based upon your understanding of these three prepositions because if you think that you're saved by works for faith, 
then that's when you're in trouble. You've got it all mixed around. Because it's, it is by grace through faith that we're saved. In other words, we're saved just by accepting God's gift. That is it. Just accepting God's gift. That's how salvation happens. That's how your destination in eternity changes is just by accepting what God did through Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul's addressing. And so then the question becomes, then how do I actually show that I'm a believer? If I've accepted this gift, then how do I actually show it? This is what James is really addressing here in chapter 2. And James says that there are five very practical ways that you can know whether or not you really have real, the real thing, real faith. Number one, he says, real faith is not just something you say. Real faith is not just something you say. Look again, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Now notice here, James doesn't say this person actually has faith. He says that the person is claiming that he has faith. This person claims that he's a believer. This person claims that he's a Christian. In other words, he's saying it. He's making this declaration. He knows what he's talking about. He knows all the right phrases. Why don't you look at these statistics that George Barna did several years ago from, from the, the George Barna Research Group, group on um, unchurched person, an unchurched person. And he defines an unchurched person this way. As an adult, 18 or older, who has not attended a Christian church service within the past six months, not including a holiday service such as Easter or Christmas, they don't count, or a special event at a church such as a wedding or a funeral. So that's how he defines what an unchurched person is. And between the years 1991 and 2004, there was a 92% increase in the number of unchurched Americans. So during those 13 years, 92% increase. It went from 39 million people to 75 million people. So that's what he defines as, a, as an unchurched person, and that number has just been increasing, increasing, and since 2004, it's even increased even more than that. But here's what's interesting about this. Because of, of those unchurched adults, three out of five of them consider themselves to be Christians. So they're not going to church but they consider themselves, so 62% still consider themselves Christians, believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And 44% of those unchurched people claim that they, they have they made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that still is important to their life today. Now, that's what's happening in our world today. This is exactly, really, what was happening in James's world as well. And the reality is, back then, and still is true today, that even though people might consider themselves a Christian, call themselves a Christian, it's more than just talk that defines what real faith is. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And for me, as a pastor, as one who is charged to try to teach you and show you what Jesus said, and ultimately make sure your destination is heaven, this to me is one of the most frightening verses and chapters in the Bible, because there's going to be people who will stand before God, and Jesus will say, I don't know you. And they're thinking, why? I, I said I was a Christian. I believed in you. And Jesus is going to say, I, I, still don't, I still don't know you. So these are people who thought they were saved. These are people who thought they were Christian. And I think this is really important for us to understand because just because you have a, a Christian bumper sticker on your car, that doesn't mean that you're a real believer. 
Just because you wear a cross around your neck doesn't make you a real believer. Just because you have Jesus' face tattooed on your shoulder doesn't make you a genuine real believer. And just because you come to church, everybody, doesn't make you a real believer. James says, can such faith save him? What value is this kind of faith? In other words, I say it. I say it. I'm a Christian. It's a rhetorical question that, that James is talking about here. Because the answer is nothing. What kind, of, what, kind of, what kind of faith will this do for you? Nothing. In other words, talk is cheap. It's easy to say it, but talk is just cheap. There, several years ago, I don't know if you remember this in the news, um, Larry Flint, who is the publisher of Hustler Magazine, which is a pornographic magazine, said that he was born again. And there was a big article in People Magazine that was entitled, Is Larry Flint's Conversion for Real or Just to Escape Prison? In the article that he descri- that describes Flint's conversion, it said this, his turnabout, Flint admits, was startling. You've got to understand that I was an atheist, he says, then I became a Christian, then I became a born-again Christian, and now I have become a Christian patriot. And all that happened in a two-week period. A Christian patriot, Flint explains, is willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. His metamorphosis began last fall after Flint met evangelist Ruth Carter Stapleton, President Carter's sister. After their families visited each other at home, Flint declared his commitment to God on November 17th. He claims he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit four days later on a private jet winging toward Los Angeles, a trip he spent on his knees speaking in tongues at, at 40,000 feet. And so on the surface, and this is what the article is talking about, on the surface, it looks like this is a genuine conversion. He really was giving his life to Jesus Christ, and, and there's going to be a transformation in his life. But the article does kind of point out some ulterior motives that might have been at work here, and it goes on to explain in the article... Flint's critics have theorized that the 7 to 25-year sentence he is appealing may have some connection with his new enthusiasm for good works. Flint angrily denies it. So this is what the whole article was about, and unfortunately, his critics were proven true in that there really was no lasting change or transformation in his life. He kept on printing pornography, so there was no change, there was no transformation, there was no difference in his life. And so this is what James is talking about here. That real faith is not just something that you say. Number two, he says, real faith is not just something you feel. It's not just something that you feel. In other words, real faith is, is more than just emotions. And I think a lot of people kind of confuse emotions and sentiment with faith. But the rea- reality is that you can be emotionally stirred and it never act on it. In other words, you can come to church on a day like this and, and, and get a quiver in your liver. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can get goosebumps and, you know, you can even start crying. And, but here's the thing. As, as great as those emotional things are, you can have emotions that never end up moving into action. And I think this is what gets so difficult because there may be an authentic stirring in your heart. In other words, you come and the Holy Spirit is really authentically working in your heart and you feel it in your emotions. There's an emotional response to it. But if you're not careful, if all you do is have an emotional response, that's just a catharsis experience. And it feels good in the moment. It kind of uplifts you in the moment, but then there's no lasting change to it. Emotions by themselves never make a difference in our lives. So James gives this illustration. Verse 15, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I don't know if you remember, Charles Schultz did a a peanuts um, um, drawing of this. Have any of you seen this before? So before this, 
um, Linus and Charlie Brown, they're in their house and they're seeing Snoopy. They're uh, outside in the snow and the cold, shivering, and his, his bowl is empty. And they're having this conversation that they need to do something. And so he says, Snoopy looks cold, kind of cold, doesn't he? Go to the next thing. I'll say he does. Maybe we'd better go over and comfort him. And so they go over to him and they say, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Yes, be of good cheer. And then they walk off. <laughs> this comes from this passage, by the way. Charles Schultz took this passage and made a peanuts little sketch of it. And, that, and so it's, he's, he's bringing this question, what good is it? You see somebody in need, and you just simply say, oh, I feel for you. James says there's a disconnect here because faith is not just something that you feel. Real faith is more than just your feelings. In 1 John 3, verse 17, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I love how the message paraphrases this. It says, If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. See, real faith is more than emotion. It's more than sentiment. It's more than feelings. It's more than sympathy. Real faith takes the initiative. It does something about it. You act on it. And then number three, real faith is not just something you think. Real faith is not just something you think. Verse 18 says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. So for some people, faith is just this intellectual trip. It's something to be studied, something to be debated, something to be argued over or talked about over and over and over. What's interesting, I think, in our culture today is that at almost every university, there are now required religion courses. That you are as part of, your, part of your education, just like you would take history or English or humanities, part of your education now is that you have to take a religion course, and so you're going to be taught Christianity and the ins and outs of what Christianity is. And this is really the essence of what James is talking about. You can study it. You can, you can do, you can, what can end up happening is that you can go through a religion course and have studied Christianity, but does it make any difference for you? Or is it just this intellectual trip that you're doing, something to be debated, something to, to know? To which James then says in verse 18, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. The key words are show me. Show me. I know you know a bunch of stuff. But show it to me, because you need to be able to see it. It needs to be visible. It needs to be apparent. Somebody once said that faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you sure can see the results. <laughs> That's what faith is supposed to be. It's hard to, it's hard to touch it, but yet at the same point, there should be results. So James is saying, show me. If you say you're a Christian, prove it. Let your actions back up your words. There's a great book that President Jimmy Carter wrote called Why Not the Best, and he said it this way. He said, one of the things that was a turning point in my life was when somebody asked me the question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right? Come on. Is there enough evidence in your life if you were arrested to actually be convicted of being a Christ follower, a Jesus follower? It's a great question, right? And so that's what James is talking about. He, you say, I, I, I know it. Well, James says, show it. You have this talk. You, 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 he's saying if you're a true believer, then you'll actually see changes in your life. Your life will actually change because real faith always produces change. And so 
And so real faith is not just something you say, it's not just something you feel, it's not just something you think. And then number four, real faith is not just something you believe. Real faith is not just something you believe. And I think immediately when we have that, we see those words, we're thinking, okay, maybe I understand say, maybe I understand, maybe I understand feel, maybe I understand thinking, but believe, I thought this is what it's all about. I've got to believe. Look at what he says in verse 19. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, I think there's a lot of people out there who have strong beliefs about God and about the Bible and about Jesus. I mean, they can recite creeds. They can argue doctrines, theological doctrines and doctrines of the Trinity. They can even quote, they can even quote the Bible. But James says, big deal. <laughs> big deal. Just saying I believe in God doesn't give you entrance into heaven. Even the devil, he says, even the devil believes in God. Did you see what he said? Even, even the devil believes in God, which means I can believe in Jesus and still not be a real Christian, just like I can believe in Hitler and not necessarily be a Nazi. That's the comparison thing. And so that's why real faith is not just saying I believe. There was an interesting article um, a couple years ago in the, in the Orange County Register in California they talked about this, and the title of that article was this. Many in Orange County believe, but don't practice. And it was an interesting article because they surveyed all these people in Orange County, Orange County, and they discovered there was this high percentage of people who believed, but a low percentage of people who actually practiced. And so, in other words, the question was, so, um, are, you, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? And the overwhelming response was, yes, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. But when asked the question, then, do you attend church? The answer was, no. Do, do you, you serve and give, give, give of your time? Um, no. Do you tithe? No. And so what they discovered was this idea, I believe, but yet there's no connection then to my Life. Well, James is talking about this, and so James says when that happens, it's phony belief. You're just conning yourself. You're saying, I believe, but yet your life is not showing that connection here. And so if, if real faith is not just something you say, if real faith is not just something you feel, if real faith is not just something you think, and if real faith is not just something you believe, then what is real faith? I'm so glad you asked the question here. Because James defines it as number five, real faith is something you do. Real faith is something you do. And look how he describes this in verse 20. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now look at what James is doing here. Because he's giving two illustrations of two very different people, Abraham and Rahab. Abraham's a man, Rahab's a woman. Abraham's Jewish, Rahab's a Gentile, Abraham's a patriarch, um, Rahab's a prostitute, Abraham's a somebody, Rahab's a nobody, Abraham is, is, is a major character in the Bible, and, and Rahab is a really minor character in the Bible. 
And so what James shows in these, these two very extreme different people is he's showing this to illustrate that it doesn't matter who you are, it's what you do that matters. It doesn't matter who you are, but it's what you do that matters because the only thing that Abraham and Rahab had in common was their faith in God, and their faith in God led to action. This is his whole point. And so the point of James here is saying that our faith, our faith not determined by what, we, by what we do, but it is demonstrated by what we do. That's his whole point in this passage. Your, your actions, they don't determine your faith, but they sure do demonstrate the reality or the lack thereof of your faith. Back in 1859, there was a guy by the name of Charles Blondin. Who, was a, who for a publicity stunt, he um, decided to walk across Niagara Falls on a, a, a tightrope. And on that appointed day that he was going to do this, he strung this, this tightrope across Niagara Falls from one side to the other. And there's crowds lining on both sides, the American side and the Canadian side. And so thousands of people came to see whether or not this was going to work. Because obviously they knew that if he fell then he would plummet down to his death. And so on that day, he takes the step out on this tightrope and slowly begins to inch his way across, across to the other side. And when he did this hush, kind of grew over, over the whole crowd. And, and then when he got to the other side, this big old cheer erupted. And then he got back on the tightrope and went back the other direction. Same response, quiet hush, and then this huge cheer. Once he got to the other side, he took a wheelbarrow and added that to his, onto the tightrope, and he took this wheelbarrow that was full of dirt and began to push it across the tightrope, and he did this nine or ten at different times. And about on the tenth time, when he got um, over on to, the, to the last side there, he stopped in front of this tourist, and the tourist looked at him and said, you know, when I first came here, I didn't think you'd be able to do this. But little by little, you convinced me, and I think you could do this. You could do this all day long. To which Bondine responded by taking the wheelbarrow and dumping out the dirt and then said, come on, get inside the wheelbarrow. <laughs> you know, I think in a very real sense, this is what God does to you and to me. He speaks to us and said, come on, get into the wheelbarrow. Talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. You say, I believe in Jesus. Prove it. Get yourself in the wheelbarrow. Our faith is demonstrated by our actions. Actions speak louder than words. It's our behavior that shows the reality or the lack thereof of what we actually believe. And so the, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says something very interesting in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. In other words, test it. Test it. James gives us a great litmus test to actually see, to test it. Are you a real believer or not? Or are you just saying it? I know you might think it, but where's the evidence of it? Check to see if you're really a real believer. Because I'm telling you, you don't want to stand before God and Jesus say, I don't know you. If you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. And I don't, you, I don't want you to think about anybody else. I just want you to think about yourself. Paul says, examine yourself, test yourself. And so think about what James is talking about here. 
And I just want you to try to be honest with yourself here in this moment. And, and again, ask yourself these questions. Am I really a Christian after all? Am I, do I have real belief, real faith inside of me? In light of all that James is saying, am I a real Christian? I mean, what evidence can I point to in my life? Is my lifestyle any different to all um, from other unbelievers, the rest of the people in, the, in this world. Again, some people think that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe, but James says that's not, that's not true. He's not saying that you work your way into heaven. He's not saying that work delivers salvation. He's not, what he's saying is that we just have to demonstrate it. There should be a natural outflow. Our actions should cor- correlate with what's going on on the inside of us. And, and so he's saying that if your faith doesn't work, what, what good is it? And so how do you then know for sure? How, 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 is this, how, how do I know for sure whether or not I'm a real believer? Well, that's what James is putting his fingers on. And, and I think that's where we just have to, we have to come and make a decision, where we settle it in our mind. And, and so maybe some of you here this morning, you've had doubts. You've had doubts really wondering whether you're a real believer or not. Sure, you're, you're a good person. You've gone to church. Maybe a You've known about Jesus, you have a Bible, maybe you've even read the Bible, maybe you, you even wear a cross, or you have a tattoo or a sticker on your car, you try to come, try to, come to church, but are you absolutely sure that if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Because the fact is, you can be 100% sure. You don't have to leave here this morning with any shadow of a doubt, you can settle it right here. This is what Paul was talking about, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith for a life of good works that God has prepared for us to do. It's God's grace. So in other words, God reaches down to you and he says, I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. That's grace. He initiates. And in response, to our grace, and this is where it is. There has to be this response. And that response is you look up to God and you say, God, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And when God's hand of grace comes down and your hand of faith goes up, that's what's called salvation. That's when something incredibly spiritual starts happening in your life. When the Bible describes that there's new birth, your spirit comes alive. And as your spirit comes alive and God begins to work in your life, it begins to work out in you. It works out into your body. It works out into your mind. It works out into your emotions. It works out into your priorities and values. It starts from within and begins to expand. So we work that salvation out into all the areas of our lives. This this is what God's plan of salvation really is all about. And some of you have been struggling with doubt, wondering whether or not this is real. Maybe some of you just thought, you just took it for granted. You know, you come to church, so therefore. But James puts his finger on, it's, it's not just what you say. It's not just what you feel. It's not just what you think. It's not just what you believe. It's what you do. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer here today. That's just kind of that, that first declaration step. And maybe you've never prayed something like this before. Maybe this is the first time you've prayed it in a long time. Would you just pray this out loud with me? Just say this out loud. Say, God, I want to have. Say it out loud so I can hear you. God, I want to have a real faith, not a phony faith. Jesus, I give you every area. Every area 
of my life. I give you my past, all the things that have happened in my life, the good and the bad, my achievements, my faults, my sins, my mistakes, and I ask you to take it all. I admit that I've gone my own way so many times. I've con- I haven't consulted you. I've made my own decisions without talking to you. And so I ask you to forgive me. I also give you my future. I don't know what it holds, but I know you know it. And I want to follow you as best as I know how. I want to be a real believer. And as well, I want to give you my present right here, right now. Take my life and make me to be the person you want me to be. Help me to grow spiritually and help me to know that I am a Christian and help me to show it in my entire life by obeying your word. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Help me to understand it more. Today, I want to get into your wheelbarrow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that today, you need to know, and if you believed in your heart, you need to know God heard you. And in that moment, if this is the first time you've ever done that, where knowledge, faith, belief come together. God reaching down with grace, you reaching up with faith. And God says, I heard you. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you can know from this moment, if this is what you've just prayed, that decision you just made, something dynamic has happened in your life. And now we get to grow in it. Now. Now, this is where God enters into the adventure of your life where he begins to speak to you and show you just all that he has for you. He has a purpose for your life. And this is where the adventure starts. We're going to take communion here together just as a response to this. And we have two stations here up front. And how we'll do this, we'll start with the front row. You'll exit into the middle and you'll come forward and go this direction and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and, and just go back then to your row. And this is what Jesus said, that, that as often as we gather together, do this in remembrance of him. This is a very practical, tangible, visible action of remembering what Jesus did for you. And being able to say, okay, Jesus, thank you for giving your life to me. And I, in turn, give my life to you. That's what we say every time we take communion. So if you would, stand up on your feet here together, and let's do this together. All through the beginning part of the service, I kept seeing this person um, that, and, and maybe you can identify with this, or maybe this is somebody that's in your life, that was just, so the love of God was right in front of you, but there was this reaction to it of, well, <laughs> it's too late. 
I've done this. I've made these decisions. And it's too late. But what I, what I saw... Was, it was like God took your face in his hands. I mean, just... I, I remember as, a, as when my kids were small, when I was trying to get my attention to my kids. You know how you do that, parents? You just take your kid's face in your hands. Like, that's why I saw God just took, took your face in his hands. And he looked at you and he said, I choose you. I choose you. And I felt like I needed to say that because I don't know when that was happening for you, if you responded or if you were still saying, no, you you don't understand. No, I don't deserve it. I I want to say it to you again in case you missed it. God's saying, I choose you. I choose you. And I'm telling you, his love makes all the difference. Don't think about what tomorrow looks like. Just right here in this, in this moment, just respond to him. Father, I pray, Father, for every one of us, and even for the people that are on our heart. Because even as I sang this, I'm thinking of so many different people that are there. And Lord, I pray, and Lord, we stand in what you're doing in their life. God, in this moment, wherever they are in the world, and whatever they're doing, whatever they're thinking, that God, that you would just grab a hold of what we just saw. You grab a hold of them and not let go. That's so silly to say because I know that's what you're doing. So I don't even have to ask that because that's what you're doing right now. But I, Lord, I pray for those people that feel like they can't say yes to you. I feel like it, it's too much, that they've made too many mistakes, that it's too late where they feel stuck. Lord, we pray for those people right now, that God, that they would let go of all of that and let your love and your choosing of them crumble every fear, every disappointment, every failure and mistake that they've made, that they would just let themselves be wrapped up in your love, no matter what. No matter what, we'll figure out tomorrow, but right here in this moment, that they would experience your love and that that would make all the difference in the world. God, I thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for your word in scripture that comes alive to us even in this moment. And so, Father, I pray that for every one of us, Lord, that that we would resolve even today as we've said yes to you in all sorts of different ways. The Lord, that we would go out from this place now demonstrating your reality to the world. And the God, that you just continue to root out in us our self-centeredness, the stuff that keeps us from really, really connecting with what you're doing. And Lord, that you would truly transform us from the inside out and that we would be your arms outstretched and your feet to this world and your voice 
to a hurting people, that we would be your love as we go into our workplaces and into our families here this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have our ministers that are here to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, they're here just to stand with you, just for the reality of heaven and God's purposes to be released in your life. Also, if you're new around here, have never gone to a five-minute welcome party, we do that right at the top of the ramp up there, and it's just for five minutes. You can leave your kids in their places if you have kids. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find everything you need online at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. We'll see you next time.